let's move it ahead through a Friday and on into the weekend, uh, midday on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dirk Christensen, and we have a treat for you. This is kind of uh, the acid test for some brand new technology here. But as you know, we've always talked uh, to Surprise Nebraska over the phone. And uh, now we've got a piece of equipment here that apparently is going to make it sound like Susan Littlefield is right here in the room with us. Susan, are you there? I am there. Can you hear me okay? Holy smokes. And you're sitting right there in your house? I am. I'm sitting in my office at the moment. My heavens. This is unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. Technology moves on. So we won't uh, dwell on this too much longer except to say the fact it's going to be wonderful to hear you in full fidelity so we catch every word this time around. Welcome, Susan. What do you have for us today? Well, there's a lot of things that are happening that we want to pass along, of course, uh, like we always get on Friday, we will hear from Al Dutcher at 1219 to give us the outlook in this coming week of weather. And I have um, pictures through social media. Field work is underway in northern Missouri, which means it's headed our direction. Then at 1245, Greg Ibaugh is going to join us, the undersecretary as we now know him. He talks with Shaley Peters as he was one of the speakers yesterday at the Governor's Ag Conference. And yes, he absolutely is enjoying his job in Washington, D.C., but when I talked to him last week, he said it was very much going to be good to come home again. And then at 117, Cameron Hall with the Harlan County Cattlemen will be joining Clay as he talks about events for the Cattlemen. All right. Sounds great. Let's have the whole, uh, whole roundtable say hello to Susan. Hello, Susan. Wow, that was pretty cool. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll take this, put it in our back pocket. We'll use it every day. Appreciate your help. No problem. Thanks, Greg. Uh huh. Absolutely. And now, yeah, Greg Gady is the uh, mastermind behind some of this stuff. So the little heralded engineering department gets some accolades today here on the midday program. Jason Jorgensen on sports. State basketball tournament is going on. Couple of games at this time. Couple of decent games. In uh, Class C1, it is Broken Bow trailing Winnebago at the half, thirty-five twenty-eight, and undefeated Kennesaw who is the only undefeated team left at State. They're 27-0. They're trying to knock out Heartland in the semis. They lead that one in a low-scoring game in Class D1, 23-18. Of course, coming up in sports, we'll go through the complete schedule the rest of the day and tonight in Lincoln. Also, plenty of other sports to talk about. There will be a few eyes in the state of Kansas watching a basketball game tonight at 6 in the Big 12 tournament. You think? And in the semifinals, it's KU and Kansas State. They will be battling. Of course, the Jayhawks already own a couple of wins this year over the Wildcats. And good news, I think if you're a Royals fan, I don't know if he'll make it through the season or not, but Mike Moustakis reportedly has signed a free agent deal with the Royals. So no one else wanted him. They didn't give him a long-term deal. The Royals will have him for at least a year. Warren yeah. Teller out of contention, and they trade him at the trade deadline. That could be healthy. Mm-hmm. We'll see. They need all the help they can get. Uh, let's uh, move it on over to Bob Brogan in business. Stocks are climbing, and uh, there's a hiring surge going on, and that added 313,000 jobs. Folks are pretty pleased with that. A Senate panel launches a review of the tariff decisions. Those are the stories breaking today. All of this and more coming up today on Midday. Paul Perkins steps in for a look at ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation and once again kind of a study in contrast across Nebraska today. Yeah, the farther southwest you are, the luckier you are as far as nicer temperatures go, but 
not quite the case as you go to northeast Nebraska. Yeah, going to run into a little bit cooler, a little bit wetter as we go into the next couple of days. But I guess you offset with the fact that you have some critical fire danger in some of those adjacent areas down there. Yeah, definitely over southwestern Nebraska or northeast Colorado, northwest Kansas, where we do have red flag warnings uh, posted mm-hmm. right now. All right. Currently, temperatures in the mid to upper 30s as you head into northeast Nebraska. A lot of central Nebraska from about the Nebraska Sand Hills through Broken Bow down to the Tri Cities and southeast Nebraska in the 40s. But North Platte, Lexington, and Holdridge and points to the southwest in the 50s and even some 60s. 55 at North Platte, 53 at Lexington and Holdridge. And we have those low 60s over northeast Colorado and northwest Kansas. And that's where that fire danger is on the higher uh, level of concern over northeast Colorado and northwest Kansas. It's all thanks to a front dropping southwest today. The divider of some cooler air across the northeastern part of Nebraska where temperatures are probably not going to get out of the 40s. Then that milder air over the southwest where temperatures today should top out right near 70. That fire danger over the drier and warmer southwest increasing to near critical And once again, red flag warnings hoisted for northeast Colorado into northwest Kansas. Now, light rain or snow, or maybe a freezing mix are possible tonight through tomorrow night. Not going to be a big event, but mainly over northern and eastern areas as an Alberta clipper drops southeast through the region. Right in central Nebraska, we could see a slight chance of some rain or snow for tomorrow night. Behind that cold front with this system... Temperatures will be cooler, and winds will be breezy to strong for both tomorrow and Sunday. So if you have some outside things to do, you may want to do them today because it's not going to be quite as nice for tomorrow and Sunday, but still not too bad, though, for this time of year. The fire weather concerns once again up near critical levels tomorrow and Sunday in southwest areas. A ridge of high pressure starts to build east across the plains for some dry weather and a major warming trend as we head towards next week, especially by Wednesday into Thursday. In a long-term forecast, those warmer temperatures are reflected. The middle of next week through Saturday of next weekend are forecast to be warmer than normal in both Nebraska and Kansas. But late next weekend through March 22nd, we are looking at hints of a pattern change that indicates near normal to slightly cooler than normal temperatures. Once again, about Sunday of next weekend through the 22nd, our precipitation outlook looks more active and calls for slightly above normal precipitation in Nebraska and northern Kansas Wednesday through the 22nd. That precipitation outlook, though, for the southern half of Kansas expects near normal to below normal precipitation Wednesday through the 22nd. Our weather factors the markets are considering include a higher chance of rain in Argentina and continued beneficial weather across Brazil. The southeast U.S. will experience a brief weekend warm-up That will be followed early next week by another blast of unusually cold air. Dry conditions will persist across the central and southern high plains. Across the southern plains wheat areas, there are no significant rain chances indicated for the west and central areas for at least the next seven days where rain is needed to avoid possible yield declines. That rain chance does increase about eight days out, but is still considered a low chance that it will be meaningful. There is a higher chance for light to moderate rain in central Argentina in the next five days. Rain, if it does happen, will benefit the crops, especially the soybeans. In South Brazil, no significant concerns right now for maturing and harvesting soybeans and first crop corn. The soybean harvest in northern Brazil may be slowed just a bit by a few thunderstorms. And your midday... Let me turn that up there where it needs to that be. Button, there you, you can have all of the uh, all of the fancy whirly gigs in the world, and if you've got one dumb operator, uh, you've got a problem. 
Uh, it's uh, the Midday Ag Weather, presented by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. I was just looking at another whirly gig here. I noticed that your anemometer is reading calm. Now, that's something we haven't seen for a while with the uh, the wind speeds. Well, that you know what? That is an old reading that's on there right now. Right here? Yeah, if you refresh that, that yeah, it's it indicating about 4 o'clock this morning. I'm ah, not sure. Oh, there shucks. we go. There we go. North wind at 18. Earlier right it was showing me that <laughs> north. But it must have got calm for a minute. There. It, well, it was something with the... Way it was reported, must have got off there. All right, never mind me. I'll just sit here and push the buttons. We'll let Paul deal with the weather. North wind at eighteen miles an hour right now. I thought we could stand up straight for a minute there, but I was wrong. Fifty-two degrees, and when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Fungicide-resistant frog eye leaf spot is making its way into the Midwest. President Trump turns up the heat on Beijing, Canada may be shopping for new grain markets, and the EPA gives a grant to Nebraska schools to reduce emissions. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. DTN has broke the story that fungicide-resistant frog eye leaf spot has added Iowa now to its list of I-State conquests. Frog eye leaf spot attacks the leaves of soybeans, especially during the plant's reproductive stages. The pathogen produces a great lesion with a reddish border on the upper leaves of the plant. It can lead to premature leaf drop and spread to pods and stems in severe situations. The QOI fungicide resistance in frog eye leaf spot, the kind that was recently found in Iowa, was first found in Tennessee eight years ago. In 2017, the plant disease had surfaced in more than a dozen states, stretching from the Gulf of Mexico to the southern shores of Lake Michigan and east to the Atlantic coast. Now it's moving west. The best way to combat the disease so far has been crop rotation using frog-eye leaf-spot-resistant soybean varieties and fungicide premixes with multiple modes of action. In trade news, President Trump is pushing for a $1 billion reduction in China's trade deficit with the U.S., Earlier this week, President Trump tweeted, China has been asked to develop a plan for the year of $1 billion reduction in their annual and massive trade deficit with the U.S. In 2017, the deficit between Chinese goods imported to the U.S. and American goods exported to China reached an all-time high of $375 billion. That's an 8% jump from the $347 billion in 2016. This latest trade news only looks to further tensions between the U.S. and China. Betty Wang, an economist with ANZ, reported earlier this week that China may retaliate against President Trump's tariffs on steel and aluminum, and now with these furthered tensions by uh, reducing the trade deficit, by targeting U.S. agriculture exports after the National People's Congress finishes in late March. Other trade news includes Canada looking south for possible grain trade. Canadian Trade Minister Francisco Felipe Champagne heads to Paraguay today to launch a formal free trade talk with Latin America's trading bloc known as Mercursor. The bloc comprises of Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, and Uruguay. In a conference call with reporters, Champagne said the Mercursor market would be a new market of about $300 million for Canadian goods and services. Canada and Brazil have had a history of trade skirmishes, largely over aerospace and beef, most recently focusing on Montreal's Bombardier and allegations that the company benefited unfairly from government financing. The news has some wondering if this may be Canada's plan B for the current NAFTA renegotiations. 
finally today, the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, has awarded $180,000 to six Nebraska school districts to replace nine older diesel school buses. National EPA has awarded more than $8.7 million to replace or retrofit 452 older diesel school buses. The funds are going to 141 school bus fleets in 32 states. Each of the school districts will receive rebates through EPA's Diesel Admissions Reduction Act, and the new buses will reduce pollutants that are linked to health problems such as asthma and lung damage. The schools in Nebraska are Central City, who will receive two buses, Cedar Bluffs Public School, which will receive one bus, Raymond, who will receive two buses, Gibbon Public Schools, who will receive two, Wahoo Public Schools, who will receive one, and York Public Schools, who will also receive one bus. Hopefully the new buses can use Nebraska-supporting fuels such as soy biodiesel as well. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row and keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. And Al, a very windy start to the week, but backing off, kind of a nice end to the week here now. What can we expect weather-wise as we look at this weekend and next week? Well, it's the weekend, so we're going to have another storm system moving through the region. It seems like that's been a regular occurrence here lately. This storm does not look to be of any magnitude similar to what we experienced earlier in the week with the big storm that brought the blizzard conditions to the northern plains and the high winds. Uh, The cool conditions that have enveloped most of eastern Nebraska and been slow to purge their way eastward uh, is finally starting to take place. We expectations last week was it would occur during the middle of the week, but it's been delayed by about 24, 36 hours. We've seen the warmer temperatures in western Nebraska, but that's all going to give away in the next 24 hours as we do have a trough moving out of the northern Rockies. It's going to move toward the southeast, and as it moves toward the southeast, we'll probably see an increase in cloud cover as we move in through the overnight hours and into tomorrow. And the main cold front with that system will be coming into the northwestern part of the state during the midday period. Uh, we may see a little bit of light precipitation in northeast Nebraska in front of the warm front that will be lifting to the region. But the cold front will quickly slide through as we go into late on the day Saturday and through the overnight hours as it pushes, pushes toward the southeast. The good news for western Nebraska is there's not a lot of moisture with this system. So the expectations are once you get west of a line from about Grand Island westward, very little in the way of any moisture is expected with this system. Most of it will be over eastern Nebraska, and it will be a mix of just about everything you can imagine if it does occur. Uh, we'll start out and make the snow, possibly a little bit of freezing rain and sleet mix, and then as the temperatures warm up through the day on Sunday, we will see that generally change to a rain mixture, and then that will slide off as we move into the later part of the day on Sunday to our east. Then we go into a fairly calm period for the remainder of the week, and we're watching with keen interest a significant upper air low poised to come into California. And the reason we're watching this with keen interest is is that we need to see some relief in the wheat belt complex of Oklahoma, Texas, and, of course, southeastern Colorado. And this system does look like it may, in fact, bring some moisture into that region. Uh, If it does not, unfortunately, there doesn't look to be much behind this system for at least another seven to ten more days. So this represents one of the better opportunities seen in a long time with a very strong upper or low moving of the southwest 
and widespread precipitation. So we'll wait to see whether or not that does indeed come to fruition as we get to the end of the next week. And if that does come to fruition, that probably will mean some inclement weather moving into our region, probably toward the second half of next week and in the early part of the following week, could lead us to a mixture of all kinds of inclement weather because the models, all of them, have different solutions and how they depict the energy moving out. So that difference will mean a considerable uh, difference in where we expect the precipitation, but right now it does look like a fairly good uh, potential for precipitation. Uh, most of the southeastern half of the state looks at this point in time it'll be more in the warmer sector with the colder sector in western Nebraska. So with cabin season on undergoing right now, we don't expect to see any significant issues, particularly with the wind, as we go through this next seven-day period. But as we go into next week, and be aware that another large system is moving to the western United States, which will likely have implications for the northern and central plains as we progress through next weekend. All right, thanks so much. Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. For more, you can visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Lincoln continues to be a busy place with state high school basketball action today. The Rural Radio Network Scott Foster has this report. Day two of the Nebraska Boys Basketball Tournament is underway in Class D1. Lord Central Catholic, a seven seed, continues to win as they knocked off Johnson Brock. Wahoo will return to the championship game in C1. They were runners-up last year. They beat Lincoln Christian today. They'll take on the winner of the next game between Winnebago and Broken Bow. Lots of big games coming up today at Pinnacle Bank Arena and at the Bob Devaney Sports Center as the Nebraska Boys State Championship Basketball Tournament continues. From Pinnacle Bank Arena. I'm Scott Foster. Hey, thanks, Scott. And a couple of games that just concluded in Class C1. Winnebago eventually pulled away from Broken Bow, 69-55. to And Kennesaw State undefeated on the season. They are headed to the state championship game thanks to a hard-fought 47-39 to win over Heartland. Well, Concordia moved on to the Elite Eight of the NAIA National Women's Tournament in Sioux City this morning with a 71-50 win over 15th-ranked Taylor of Indiana. Now, Hastings College takes on two-time defending national champion Marion tonight at 7. KU plays Kansas State tonight in the men's semifinals of the Big 12 Tournament. That one will start at 6. Mike Moustakas, after all, has agreed to a one-year deal with a mutual second-year option with the Kansas City Royals. It guarantees him $6.5 million. He can max that contract out next year if he stays with the Royals at almost $23 million. Well, Nebraska's streak of victories and home baseball openers ended yesterday at 39 as the Huskers were stung at home by Cal Poly 14-8. The NU bullpen blew up in the late innings yesterday, and head coach Darren Erstad says the Huskers need to improve. Uh, you know, it's one of those games where, you know, we get up 10 runs the last three innings, and it, uh, you know, that's just, we knew that that would be an area of concern on the mound, you know, until we figure out pieces that can go there. But defensively, that's just unacceptable. Erstad made his comments on his post-game show yesterday on the Husker Sports Network. Game 2 of the series is set for this afternoon. That'll start around 1.35 in Lincoln. And the Broncos have agreed to trade star cornerback Akeeb Tlaib to the L.A. Rams. The Rams will send Denver a mid-round pick, believed to be a fifth-rounder next month's draft. By trading Tlaib, who is due $11 million this season and $8 million next year, the Broncos will have around $35 million in salary cap space to pursue free agents, including quarterback, 
Kirk Cousins. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Partly cloudy tonight, though a chance of sleet and snow in the northeast and parts of north-central Nebraska. I'm Dave Schroeder. A coalition of advocacy groups, state senators, and low-income residents are rallying behind a petition drive that would let voters decide whether to expand Medicaid in Nebraska. The group, Ensure the Good Life, kicked off its campaign today to place the issue on the November general election ballot. Organizers need about 85,000 signatures by July 6th to qualify for the ballot. If voters approve the measure, state officials would be directed to offer coverage to an estimated 90,000 low-income, childless residents who don't qualify for traditional Medicaid and aren't eligible for tax subsidies under the Affordable Care Act. Maine was the first state to expand Medicaid through a ballot initiative. Senator Adam Moorfeld of Lincoln says it's time for voters to address the issue after years of legislative inaction. A bill designed to prevent the new U.S. tax law from triggering an automatic tax increase in Nebraska has won initial approval from lawmakers. Senators gave the measure first-round approval yesterday with a 38-0 vote. The bill seeks to neutralize most of the effects of the law approved by Congressional Republicans and President Donald Trump. Senator Burke Haar ripped the tax reform bill. Everyone thought they were going to get their taxes cut. That's what I heard from Deb Fisher. That's what I heard from Ben Sass, Don Bacon, Jeff Fortenberry, Adrian Smith. Look at this bill, folks. They raised your taxes. They raised your taxes by $225 million. Maybe more. We don't know. Nebraska's tax system is changing because lawmakers have connected many parts of it to the federal tax code, leading to automatic shifts when federal tax laws change. A new law in Kansas promises harsher sentences for repeat drunken drivers who kill or injure others. Governor Jeff Collier signed the Caitlin's Law. It stiffens penalties for drivers who cause accidents while intoxicated or while circumventing restrictions placed on them as a result of a DUI conviction. The new law takes effect in July and is named after the victim of a fatal crash caused by a drunken driver. Here's a rural radio reminder to spring ahead Saturday night. Daylight savings times begin at 2 a.m. Sunday morning. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaley Peters, and I visit today here with Undersecretary of Marketing and Regulatory Programs, Greg Ibaugh, and I joked, Greg, that I was going to have to really try hard not to call you Director of Agriculture, and I made it past that point, but you are here back at the Governor's Ag Conference. You didn't even make it a whole year. We invited you back, and we're glad to have you here. And you covered a lot of different topics in your in your uh, address here and what your job looks like on a daily basis. And so I'm going to jump into a few of these here. One of the big things, though, of course, President Trump has talked a lot about infrastructure. And one of the big things that we see here in Nebraska is rural broadband. I mean, there's a lot of different areas. And so go into a little bit infrastructure, what you see with your job there, and then maybe some of what we might see coming down the pipe as well. 
Well, I know uh, from uh, working with Ann Hazlett, the uh, Deputy Secretary for uh, Rural Development, uh, that uh, definitely will have a big uh, role to play in infrastructure and e-connectivity as role or broadband's role in uh, that infrastructure package that uh, it's something that's important to the administration. And I know right now there's some legislative bills um, in the hopper that they're debating right now or working on that uh, have to do with, um, you know, setting the state up for uh, understanding, you know, what what our needs are and how we need to be positioned to roll those out uh, here in Nebraska. But I think that's important because uh, the president has signaled in his comments that partnerships are going to be very important. So it's, uh, I think the infrastructure packages and proposals that you'll see coming out of the president's office are going to represent his desire to see uh, private investment, state investment, coupled with federal investment, so it won't be just a check from the federal government. Another thing you talked about was deregulating biotechnology and what that means. And so talk about that, and then also the fact that when the FDA and the EPA come to the table, you're all on the same page, and you're very efficient with this. So uh, we've already had a lot of years of uh, doing scientific analysis on some of the different uh, methods for genetic enhancement, uh, especially introducing uh, genes that uh, you know allow for Roundup uh, resistance or glyphosate uh, resistance or other uh, plant protection uh, chemical resistance. And so I think you know we are at a position where we think if we've made that decision, if we've done the research and done the science on that, that we shouldn't have to repeat that each time that same technology comes as part of a proposal to us. And so I think we're ready to, to move forward in, in making a decision there. And then we're also seeing uh, CRISPR technology being discussed. And CRISPR technology really deals with uh, working with the genes that are within the plant or within the animal and uh, trying to figure out how to make them express themselves when we want them to or not express themselves, the dominant uh, recessive type of discussion. And so uh, since that's something that can be done through a normal breeding process but may take a long time, uh, CRISPR would allow us to do it very rapidly. And I think there's a good argument to be made, and that's what we're looking at right now at USDA. Is that something we can say, yeah, probably we don't need to look at that each time. And so as we move forward uh, in making our decisions at USDA, I also think it's important that, you know, if we decide to deregulate, that our partners in another agency don't uh, decide to regulate or pick up our slack. And so we're going to open the dialogue with FDA and EPA as well to try to come about it as a uh, multi-agency decision. All right. And then finally, you mentioned soybeans to China. China deciding a year ago almost to raise the bar on what they want to import. And I know that's been a work in progress for the U.S. This is something we don't want to see that market lost. China's a big player in our export game. So what are you doing on that front? 
So we're working very closely with China to address their concerns. And what uh, individual farmers and ranchers need to be aware that uh, there are issues with China having concerns about foreign material and some of that being weed seeds that's showing up in shipments uh, uh, in China from the U.S. We know that farmers and ranchers take great pride in producing the best quality uh, grains uh, to deliver all around the world. But we also know that there's challenges out there with uh, uh, herbicide resistance. And so we're going to work with the soybean industry over this next growing season and uh, with individual farmers and ranchers to make sure they're aware that there's a concern out there from China and to ask them to try to redouble their efforts to put in place the good agronomic um, practices that they've always done in the past. Through the course of the year, we're going to, you know, in addition to communicating with farmers, we're going to be working with local country elevators to do sampling at those elevators to determine if our problems are regional and uh, exactly what kind of product they're receiving at those region at those country elevators and then we're also going to be working with export terminals to uh, quantify what the uh, quality and the foreign matter content of the shipments that they're loading on vessels destined for foreign markets are and so this will help us identify you know which part of the whole system we have opportunities for improvements in which ones are doing a better job or you know is it uh, something about a particular region that has uh, you know more challenges than uh, a, a different region of the United States all right. Thank you so much. It's Undersecretary of Marketing and Regulatory Programs, Nebraskan Greg Ibaugh, visiting with us here from the Governor's Ag Conference for the Rural Radio Network. I'm Shaylee Peters. Now with a review of the livestock futures trade, we turn to Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, pretty good day uh, for the uh, cattle complex. Uh, not, uh, not so much again for the uh, hawks. But a uh, nice uh, comeback in the uh, cattle today. Uh, opened uh, in, uh, a little bit higher, then went immediately lower and uh, came uh, under some pretty good pressure. And then uh, things began to turn around about mid-session, and uh, next thing you know, we're uh, back up, which uh, gave us some uh, triple-digit gains out of the uh, live cattle. And uh, looking at it, that gives us a... Uh, higher close for the week. Uh, I think a lot of it coming from the fact that cash was steady and kind of uh, inching higher uh, as we came into the uh, last day of the week here. That helped, plus cutouts were uh, higher all week long, too. So those combination ending up with a higher weekly close. Not so much for the uh, feeders. They're going to close lower for the week, but did manage to come back in the first uh, three months. The Back months uh, still uh, a little bit lower, but uh, obviously uh, finding some support at lower levels uh, and finishing lower for the week. Over in the hogs, uh, they're going to finish surprisingly higher for the week, um, even though they were lower today. Uh, cash uh, seems to be near steady. Cutouts uh, rebounded after being uh, under a lot of pressure during the week, but uh, rebounded at noon today and. Uh, 
Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. The Harlan County Cattlemen's Banquet's coming up this Saturday in the Rural Radio Network's going to take an exclusive look at it. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us to talk about the upcoming banquet this weekend is Harlan County Cattlemen's very own president, Cameron Hall. And Cameron, we thank you for joining us. Talk about all what's going on this Saturday at the banquet. Sure, Clay. Thanks for having me. We're looking forward to our banquet this year. It'll be Saturday, March 10th at 630 in the Ag Center in Orleans. And we're going to have some folks there from the Nebraska Cattlemen's uh, Governing Body, uh, and we'll have a, a few uh, folks from the Nebraska Legislature also. Uh, we'll do an update on what we've been doing over the last year. Uh, and one of the one of the projects that we got started on this past year was to hopefully implement the Nebraska Beef at Schools program. Um, so we're looking to get an update on that and, and try to get uh, more people on board and, and get that to grow and go some more next year. Bringing beef into Nebraska schools is a large project that the Harlan County cattlemen are working on. And Cameron, talk to us about how you're starting this project from scratch. That's right. And uh, so Alma Public Schools has not had any anything going with the beef in schools program yet. So we were we were starting from scratch there, and then we've worked with Southern Valley uh, last fall also. And they've had some sort of uh, grassroots efforts by by some of the local affiliate members. Uh, and also some help from the Furness County cattlemen. Uh, so, so they already had a little bit of um, some things in place that they were doing, and so uh, we were wanting to support that in any way we could, and if there was opportunity to expand it, then we were certainly interested in that too. And we mainly were just wanting to get uh, get some input from the, the cook staff in the school, um, you know, how what would work best for them in terms of types of cuts and how they'd be able to prepare that and then also to gauge interest from the students, you know, if having access to, to beef in their lunches was something they were interested in. And, and uh, our feedback so far was overwhelmingly positive, so we're looking forward to continuing with that as we go into this year. The Harlan County Cattlemen are no newcomers when it comes to barbecues because you also help host one at your local county fair. Talk to us a little bit about that involvement. Sure. So every year uh, we put on a free uh, barbecued beef sandwich uh, cook out for the uh, for the Harlan County Fair, um, and we've got lots of local sponsors that help us out tremendously with that. Uh, we consistently serve between five and six hundred sandwiches every year, um, and that's all free of charge and brought on, like I say, by local sponsors. And then uh, you know the board of the Harlan County Cattlemen uh, puts that on uh, for everybody. And Cameron, for folks that want to learn more or they want to help and uh, volunteer or donate, uh, especially with your Nebraska Beef in Schools project, where's a spot where people can go to find more information or uh, learn more about these programs? Sure. There's a wealth of information on the Beef in Schools program available through the Nebraska Cattlemen. So I would encourage anybody who's interested in uh, learning about the, that program and where it's currently being done. Uh, and, and what they can do to get involved with it, uh, definitely reach out to Nebraska Cattlemen. Uh, and then uh, if they have any specific questions locally within Harlan County, uh, they're certainly welcome to reach out to me or one of our other board members. That's Cameron Hall. He's president of the Harlan County Cattlemen's Association. Again, their banquet is coming up this weekend. Excited to be a part of it. And we hope to uh, hear more stories from them as they move further into bringing great, nutritious Nebraska beef into local area schools. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. 
Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we suffered significant losses in soybeans and wheat today. Corn, a follower to the downside. And with us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. I didn't notice uh, too much bullish news in this grain market today. How about you? Yeah, we actually had some good news this morning. I'm, I'm a little surprised that the market was down so much in beans. A big tender made in, uh, in beans this morning by, I think it was China. I'm not sure if it was unknown, but assumed to be China. Around 350 million or 350,000 metric tons, rather. So, big purchases, and I think that's uh, you know something that we can lean on. Combined with uh, some analysts coming out this morning from South America, lowering Argentina's numbers. The USDA is now the highest projector of, of beans and corn when looking at all the different analysts out there. So, I think you know it, it, this thing isn't going to go straight up, and uh, I, I just think right now it's, you're seeing commercial selling. A lot of producers, you know, locking in these levels that they haven't seen in some time, and. Uh, um, you know, we're going to need a little more news to feed the bull, so to speak, but uh, nothing's really changed in the last 24 hours, and I look for prices to continue to push here as we get back into uh, the battle breakers. All right, let's uh, look at South American production. I think you said declining South American production. So that'll be an underlying factor when it comes to this soybean trade, won't it? Absolutely, and there's some rain in the forecast, so beans can probably be saved a little bit as far as their, their forward estimates, but um, the, the forward demand good. Uh, you're breaking up there, John. Uh, what about the corn market uh, again? Yeah, we've lost our connection with John Payne, who uh, was uh, busy attending a meeting in uh, Illinois. Now, the USDA did sell 183,000 tons of soybeans to China as an announcement this morning. 205,000 metric tons of soybeans sold to unknown, and 260,000 metric tons of corn sold to unknown. But we ended the day, I guess percentage-wise, even a little bit bigger losses in the hard red winter wheat contracts, as the Kansas City wheat was 11 and three quarters to 12 and three quarters lower, Chicago wheat nine and three quarters to 10 cents lower, and those soybean trades were 20. Four to 24 and three quarters lower in the old crop months. As we've mentioned as well, corn was a little bit of a follower to the downside today, but after these recent run-ups, a correction was possible as there was some selling. We saw corn two and a half to three cents lower with that December contract closing at 407 and a quarter. For more, you can always go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. This is the Rural Radio Network.